You're listening to the Global Ooj Podcast, where every week we learn about the world through the eyes of entrepreneurship with your host, Ujwal Velagapudi. So I've been looking to live in various cities around the country and world for a few months at a time so I can explore different areas and experience new settings. A bit more than a getaway weekend, but less hassle than signing a long-term lease. I know it's a tough time to be doing something like that, especially in 2020, but one company that I found to make that process a breeze is doing just that. Spot Home is reinventing the rental process by making it easier for landlords and renters to connect with their digital platform. Founded by Alejandro Ortacho in Madrid, Spain in 2014, they've already grown to over 10 cities and raised over 80 million euros from some of the top investors in the world like Kleiner Perkins, and the founders of Unicorn Giants, Dropbox, Yelp, and Uber. You'll love Alejandro's enthusiasm and energy. Yeah, so uh, Spot Home is an online booking platform for uh, mid to long-term rentals. So it can be anything uh, for a few months to to few years. And, and the whole point is that the rental experience end-to-end is uh, fully digital on, and online. So starting, for example, you can do a rental for a year or two years without seeing the house in person. And then you can uh, manage your um, contracts entirely online. Um, everything happens through the app or through your panel on desktop. And, uh, and now we are getting into payments. And uh, so the whole idea is that you can manage your entire rental. And then basically um, uh, everything that it was done offline through uh, more like traditional agents, then we're replacing that uh, through uh, self-service products, basically. So you mentioned everything is digital. So how are you integrating the landlord and the renter exactly? Like who's actually your consumer and who's the one paying for your service? Is it the landlord or is it the renter? Yeah, so uh, it's actually both. So both of them are paying and uh, uh, from the landlord side. So on the landlord side, we work both with uh, private owners and, and then we also work with property management companies. Now we're uh, working with banks, uh, big funds uh, of, um, and real estate assets. Uh, big ones around the world in the eight countries that we are operating now. And then, uh, so those are one of the paying customers. And then on the other side, we have tenants. And then for tenants, it's very simple. It would be like a, a booking a hotel or an accommodation for short term, but then similar process to uh, long term. And then on both sides, actually, we have uh, more tools for landlords. And if you think of uh, property managers or, or big uh, asset uh, managers, that they are like managing tens of thousands of, of, of uh, properties. And sometimes it can be in one country or it could be in several countries at once. Then it's very difficult for them to manage all their properties and see all the rentals or the tenants, who are paying, who is not paying. And then uh, 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 take into account that they got to manage visits. And sometimes they spend a lot more time scheduling visits and, and, uh, and to schedule the visits and get those leads, they got to go to multiple classifieds, and traditional classifieds. And, you know, you are in U.S., uh, you guys have, you know, Craigslist or um, uh, Zillow. And, and, and then, uh, so they get all these leads, they schedule the visits, then those visits, they can end on rentals or not. And then uh, once the rental and the application happens, then uh, usually there is a lot of manual work and then they got to go with papers. And then you guys in U.S., um, it's more digitized, uh, I would say, the applications, but that is not happening in other countries. 
if I'm in Europe, it doesn't happen. And then if you look at places in Latin or Asia, it doesn't happen. You see a lot of paperwork and you got to be doing things on the phone and meeting in person. All those things takes a bunch of time uh, for both sides, right? So so basically with us in, in your platform as a landlord, uh, independently of the number of properties that you have, uh, you can see everything in one single place and, and you can have full visibility and, and you only do a visit or allow a visit once uh, to what we call the home checkers, which they go to the properties and do the videos, 360 floor plans, they do all the materials. And then you never have to do a visit or allow a visit again. And then you just start receiving bookings uh, for the rest of the lifetime of the property, unless something changes in the property and then we got to go again. Um, and then once that happens, then you have entire visibility of all your rentals, tenants, uh, check-ins, check-outs, um, the entire thing, right? So it's, it's also kind of a property management tool uh, for landlords. And then for tenants, it's super easy. You know, like when we launch in Spain, uh, one thing that, that you know, it, it wasn't on purpose and we were not chasing, but then we saw that we had a, a, an amazing fit for international tenants and those are people that they were not in the city uh so those guys they couldn't see the property in person by nature right uh because they, they weren't there so so we were the only tool when we launched in spain by which you could actually rent a property without being physically in the country and then actually you could do that in your local language in a foreign country so so that's why we got the first booking in less than two hours when we launched in in march 2014 and, and it was a Japanese customer uh, booking for a year and a half in Madrid when we only had nine properties listed on the site. So, um, so, so yeah, so for tenancies, you save a bunch of time and, and therefore money, you know. And in a time like now with COVID that you can't uh, really travel and uh, there are all these uh, restrictions and traveling, then, you know, it makes a lot more sense uh, that there is digital product that you don't need, you know, that you can do uh, uh, everything online starting from viewings. So for a few months, I've been planning on leaving the U.S. actually to live abroad and was looking towards Mexico in specific since it's one of the few countries that doesn't have any travel restrictions right now. So I was looking for the mid to long term range, you know, two, three, four months. And previously when booking an Airbnb or a hotel, I'd always worry about how big it really is, how clean it is. You know, the pictures are always prettier than the reality. But when I was on your application on Spot at Home, you could understand and really envision yourself with the visual aspects of the video tour, the floor plan, and additional piece of information that you guys share with the renter. So, I mean, this really helps versus, a, let's say, a traditional site because they usually just make it seem like it's much bigger uh, or much more elegant than it truly is. So from the landlord perspective, I used to have a few dozen rentals. So how does that work exactly in terms of the interaction with the tenants going in and out? Like, do I give you my key or my code box and then your team handles all the tenant inflow and outflow? Or is there no physical checking of the property again? It's either fully online and you either get it or you just don't. Yeah, not yet. Uh, so as it works today, um, uh, you control the check-in yourself. Uh, so basically what we are sending you is the, uh, the um, um, closed bookings. So you receive, because also you have the control to accept or reject uh, the, in the tenants that you want. 
and then um, we do uh, credit checks for you and whatever you need uh, to accept uh, a tenant. So I know in, uh, in US, you guys usually ask for a bunch of information from the tenant and, um, and you have that tenant vetting in other countries. It's not that severe, kind of. It's easier and landlords are uh, more relaxed in that in that way. But then uh, as we're operating in eight countries in Europe, and then... Um, you know, different countries, they have different ways to operate. So in some countries like uh, Germany, France, um, also in UK, landlords, they ask for a bunch of information. So all that information is is given to you uh, for you to have an, an informed decision because it may be that you get uh, three paid requests with a different length of stays and then you have all the information from uh, the tenants and then we allow you to just make the choice. And, and to accept or, or reject the tenants that you want. And once that happened, then you just receive uh, the contracts directly, and then it could be either a contract that you're comfortable uh, with, but many landlords, they don't have contracts or they don't have a, uh, that legal background, so we give them the contracts and it's automatically uh, fill in, then uh, all the signatures that are happening online. And then after that, then uh, you know all the communication happens through our platform, and then you coordinate the check-in with the tenant as you have the keys. Then that is a step that we want to move in to and, and then stepping in more phases of, uh, of the um, uh, kind of the journey, the rental journey. That's the meeting that we are after. So you're saying that eventually you do want to offer, like you're, like you're saying with the background check, the legal contracts, things like that, uh, like you slowly want to encompass the full end-to-end service of being a full-on property management company uh, down the road, or is that not something that you guys are going for? Yeah, exactly. So, so uh, until so as uh, as the product uh, as of now, uh, we offer background checks, we do the legal contracts, uh, but then our job ends when the tenant checks in uh, as of today, and then uh, you know the future where we are moving into is is um, you know, being with the tenant and the landlord throughout the journey and then eventually being, f- from a landlord perspective, being able to be fully hands-off and then just having visibility and control over the entire journey. Um, uh, but, you know, this is a step-by-step, right? In, uh, in kind of digitizing the entire journey. Um, yeah. Basically, we're analyzing happens offline uh, you know, and you know, map that out, and then and then start building digital products for each of the phases of the process, right? Um, but it's one step at a time. Yeah, especially the meat of it during the tenant operations and handling the property management aspect. I'm sure it can get pretty difficult, and especially as you're doing it in all of these different countries. I'm sure your legal team and your legal affairs team must be extremely large because there's so many nuances. I mean, I'm, for example, I'm a licensed agent within the state of Michigan. And when I moved to another state and to Texas, I wasn't able to operate anymore. So I'm sure with your particular country that you're operating in, in your territory, your provinces, your states, you're, it's going to be such a unique situation for each. And so for every single country that you're going to come across those uh, regulations and those situations every single time. So how difficult has that been in terms of the legal aspect of your tenant laws, your landlord laws, your rental laws? Yeah, they, that's a good question. Yeah, it's uh, difficult, especially in in uh, you know Europe. Um, 
and you know, I wasn't aware that in U.S. between different states there were uh, such you know different um, regulations, but then in Europe definitely are. And um, and yeah, you're, you're right. Actually, and you know, for the first four years of the company, we were running. Uh, you know, centrally, everything from Madrid, everyone from Madrid, and then we had uh, people from the different countries, but then based in, Ma in, in Madrid, what we saw is that because all the local nuances as we were expanding, it was uh, much better to have local teams on the ground, including legal, and then, and then being close to those regulations. And then, you know, I would say that maybe 80% of the entire operations are uh, the same everywhere. And then you have that 20% that you need to adapt. Um, so that is not only from operations. I think the challenge then is on product roadmaps and then um, justifying um, um, you know, development for uh, local operations from a product perspective that are gonna distract you from the general overall product that serves for that 80%, right? So. So you know, sometimes you got to do trade-offs as well, and then and then, but but yeah, that that I would say that is the difficulty seeing what is the opportunity cost, um, you know, for something because also you know we think of the of the world now we are at eight countries, you know, at the point we were in seventeen countries, uh, but then we decided to just fully focus on eight, and 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 you know, but we want to go to. To, you know, 190 countries, you know, all over the world. So, 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 yeah. So, yeah. Do you do you get to balance those resources and thinking on large scale versus local nuances? So, can you go a little bit more into that? What was your thought process when you were in those 17 countries, and then what was that ultimate decision or mindset to scale it back down to eight? Because that must have been such a tough move, huge transition to actually get there, and then to go all the way back. So we look at the business more on a city-by-city city model, uh, model. So we were in 33 cities, 17 countries versus 11 now. And, and what happened is that we scale up to 33 cities very quickly. And then, and then it's very easy to, uh, one, get distracted, second, spreading too thin. And in a marketplace like ours, uh, you need, a, well, and any marketplace, you need a bunch of... Um, you need you need that that liquidity on the supply side, and then, and, and especially especially for uh, long term rentals, you know it's a, it's a big decision. It's not the same going you know for a, um, a weekend somewhere, and then maybe you have fewer options, but you just going there and you're gonna spend two or three days in a place. Here you're gonna be spending one year, right? So so in order to make that decision. Uh, uh, you know, comparatively, you got to see a bunch of more properties to just make the decision. And, and, and the decision is much tougher than in holiday rentals. Um, uh, so what we saw is that in order to increase your conversion rates, you, it was better to focus all your strength in fewer places, build that, that liquidity that rather than spread it to thin and not having enough properties in a bunch of places, that would be... That, that was kind of not having business, right? And those cities that were growing, but then, you know, as always, and you got to manage your resources. And um, either you put everything in 11 places or you put everything in 33. Obviously, you're going to be smaller in 33 uh, rather than bigger in 11. So that's the route that we chose. Yeah, and when you mentioned managing resources, there's a couple of elements to that, right? Uh, your talent pool and your overall company's liquidity, right? So... 
When you guys started way back in 2014, can you walk us through the various stages of funding that you guys have gone through? I mean, was it bootstrapped completely by you and your co-founders early on? Or how did that start? And where exactly are we today? Yeah, so uh, we started, uh, and before, before, before I go, one thing to your previous question is, it's also when you are explaining to things and you don't have that, that liquidity that affects your unit economics, when you concentrate more uh, your marketplace, it improves your margins as well. So, so that, that was one of the drivers for the decision. Now, uh, now uh, uh, to this question, so we started in 2014, uh, we started uh, a four friends and and you know when we started, uh, and actually the first co-founder that joined me, uh, Brian, uh, he and I were doing another startup before, and you know I called him one day and I said, "Hey Brian, uh, you know walk in the street for one hour and count how many travel agencies do you see in the high street?" And uh, he said, "Well, none, right, or close to zero. And twenty years ago, it, it used to be full, and you would go to these travel agencies to do everything, right, uh, and 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 to get your trip set up." And then I said, do that again and count how many offices of real estate agents do you see in the high street? And the answer would be many. And I said, I think we can help these guys out uh, to, to streamline their operations and, and to not need physical offices to actually operate. And I think we can digitize all this. So Brian joined me. Then uh, we got two more co-founders and, and the four of us, we launched in March 2014. Then we did a family and friends of uh, 125,000 euros because we started uh, getting bookings since the first day. Then, um, uh, then uh, we got an investor in UK, although we started the company in Madrid, but the first investor in Trivago, um, and, and now they have a, 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 well, for many years now, VC, uh, they are called Hausa. They are based in London. Um, you know, like a month after operations and after thirty-seven emails or so, and, and being a pain in the ass, he uh, he committed uh, an investment, and he he's an incredible investor. Um, uh, David Soskin's his name. So so then that started to create some momentum, and then we got family and friends, one hundred twenty-five thousand. Uh, also, David said. And, you know, for us to close around, you need a lead investor in Spain. So I started a quest in 2014 to get uh, our first funding round in Spain with a lead investor. And that um, I found it really tough back in the days. Many things changed in the Spanish ecosystem. But back then, um, and, um, the number of investors and the appetite for investment and uh, risk aversion, they were way different as of today. And it, and it was really tough to, to get your first funding, especially being so young. So in September that year, I asked David and I said, uh, David, man, like, uh, 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 you know, the, the Spanish offers that we're getting are, are, are too expensive for us. You know, some of the offers go for 50% of the company for tiny amount. So, so then David introduced me a, a group of uh, business angels in London and, you know, funny enough, like after four months and trying to raise in Spain, then, you know, in 24 hours, we got a term sheet uh, from, um, you know, these guys in London. So we closed that round and that was another 225,000. And then a few months later, we closed 750,000. And, um, and this was already June 2015 and, and it was a VC passion capital from London. Then the next year in April, we raised another 4.7 million um, in a series A1, a, uh, we call it. And that was actually a VC in Spain. And then we started to add a lot more investors uh, from all over Europe and a bunch of business angels, actually. 
Then a year after, we raised another 13.7 million euros. Um, and then we added like incredible people into, and I got obsessed about bringing smart people, bringing entrepreneurs, really, you know, these investors that are, that have been on operations and they have been founders or they have been executives and they really know what it takes uh, to build a, a company. And, and that's the major difference that I've seen uh, in investors. Um, because, you know, building companies are not a spreadsheets. It's, it's a lot more that it goes be, um, behind them. So, so, so yeah. And then uh, in 2018, um, then is when we um, did a major leap in, in investment. And we closed a Series B uh, led by Kleiner Perkins. Um, and that was $40 million round. And it was actually the first time a, a top-tier VC from Silicon Valley ever invested in Spain. Um, so, so that made the, the entire team super proud and, um, uh, we made kind of history there in Spain. And then, you know, if from that round, uh, and then, you know, with Kleiner, a lot of, uh, entrepreneurs and incredible people also joined us. And then, and then, yeah, we raised another, but it's not around, but we raised more capital actually, uh, at the beginning of this year, uh, so we're preparing for QVC and then. Well, we got COVID and, and COVID as affecting travel, you know, like many, most of the companies in the world. Then um, uh, we had to do some, some changes, uh, which actually made us much stronger today. So overall, we have raised 80 million euros. I forgot also some yeah, extra funding that we got for, uh, to buy a company in 2018. Uh, so, so overall, it's over 80 million euros. Raised and so you started in Spain, then went to the UK to raise and kind of back and forth with various investors. For Kleiner, for example, was that something that you were seeking out because you said you wanted smart people on your team, so and the right type of investor? So was that something that you sought to go to Silicon Valley and raise there versus, let's say, within your own backyard and in the European region? Yeah. So, so um, I was looking and, and thinking. Kind of, I work backwards. Uh, I was thinking, uh, what is the cap table that we want to have in, you know, five years? And then, and then, as we want to scale uh, internationally, um, what I realized is that, you know, eighty percent of our cap table back then it was um, European based, from all over Europe, and um, and then we had the other twenty percent actually was from US. Uh, and then from US we had um, you know some funds and we had business angels, but then but then you know I got obsessed about doing a series B from from um, a fund that would have a lot of experience. You know, Kleiner Perkins, you know, it's one of the oldest um, uh, firms in the world, right? So 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 getting getting that it was kind of an obsession. It was, and then you know I didn't. It was a time, I think it was September 2017, and my co-founders and I, we went to San Francisco, and uh, I went to meet some some of our uh, angels that we had there, and we wanted to meet some entrepreneurs there and some of the companies, and we spent a week there. It really was a retreat week um, that we wanted to get ideas. We wanted to see, you know, how things were working in Silicon Valley. And then, you know, our investors there, they introduced us, uh, some investors, and then we were not racing, but then, you know, we saw all... Uh, all you know the funds in Silicon Valley uh, asking you know where were we gonna raise and then I was like I told my co-founders I think we can raise our Series B from here and um, 
and and so yeah, you know, a few months later, um, everything started, but it but it wasn't like, you know, and at that point, I was like, yeah, let's do it. From from I think I think we if we get a firm like Kleiner Perkins, they're gonna open a lot of doors for us, which which happened, right? But then you know, as I think in the future, I'm thinking on Asia, I'm thinking. You know, Middle East and 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 combining more funds and network around the world. Um, this is a people business. It comes a lot through connections and opening up the network and seeing different ideas, different entrepreneurs, and really opening up. So, so on the people aspect, one of those investors is Travis Kalanick, right? The co-founder and former CEO of Uber. So, can you talk about that and how was that something also that you sought out because of his particular expertise and also, the type of influence that he may have, may or may not have, brought to Spot Home. Yeah, so so these were um, also, you know, Kleiner and um, um, you know, he, he brought a lot of, a lot of connections. When when um, the Series B, we raised them uh, in two thousand eighteen. One of the things, so there were primarily two major things that I wanted to do. Uh, with the business and and the main one was localizing operations way better. I think Uber uh, is an example of that um, and going super hyper local in their operations and, and and you know that that made them one of the fastest companies ever uh, in the world and I was super intrigued uh, to see how they did it and actually uh, we hired a bunch of people from from Uber. And you know, directors back in the days, and, and 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 people that they were running operations for multiple countries, and uh, so yeah, a lot of good advice on on scaling operations and and localizing uh, operations, and then also, yeah, you know, the challenge that we were talking on product and operations locally. You know, like uh, Uber is one of those companies that has in you know, if if one company has experience, it's them. You know, an execution, I mean, great teams. So when you're scaling like that on the opposite side of the investors is going to be your own team, right? That you're needing to scale as you scale your operations to other countries. So you said that you want to get into every part of the world. So let's say you do want to, at some point, expand into Asia. How does that look like exactly? Like, how do you even plan for something like that in terms of the network that you're talking about? Do you raise money there? first and then build out your operations or do you hire a great executive team from there to lead that charge or how does that work when you're looking to expand into a completely brand new region yeah yeah so uh it's a great question so uh one of the things that we're doing now is getting kind of um local entrepreneurs to launch and and to just open up one of the most difficult things that we have in our operations today is uh, going to every single house to do you know the videos, the floor plans, uh, 360s that you were talking about before. Uh, that is one of the most complex. That's why nobody nobody else does it. You know at, uh, at the scale. And um, so so you know in our case is getting those entrepreneurs on the ground and then giving them full ownership and 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 you know clear objectives and then you know for them to own the PNL. And, and especially in the in the world that we're living today, uh, where where cash margins are more important than ever, it's it's getting these entrepreneurs and then and then you know uh, agreeing with them, but also from from a financial perspective, it's kind of okay. You are setting up your own business. 
then you gotta make it profitable. You gotta grow this thing um, and make it profitable. Just have an agreement by when um, they think that they can make the the country or the city profitable, and then giving them ownership uh, for them to run it. And then what you see there is when you have a bunch of entrepreneurs in different places in the world, then and um, you gotta you gotta let them have crazy ideas and test out things because it may be that that. One of these um, general managers uh, in the place, they have uh, an amazing idea that serves the rest of the uh, community. And then, you know, all the other general managers are going to be copying what this uh, person actually achieved in that market. And it may be that in other market it doesn't work. But then, uh, you know, just by, by pushing that ownership um, into the local teams is how uh, you can benefit of this. And then the tricky and the, the trick part is is to make sure that uh, you start building playbooks on the on the things that apply to most of the cities. So so then if you want to go to uh, from eight to eighty countries, then you can replicate models. And then the new general managers at least they know a bunch of things that they already worked in ninety percent of the countries. Uh, so they can just replicate that, and then uh, you can exponentially go faster. Uh, so. As we as we think on expansion, we we think on that first, even before funding, just to prove the model in different places. And it's much easier to go to investors and say, "Look, uh, this is working now in in all these countries." For example, now in our case, we are profitable uh, across all countries, um, and you know, from unit economics perspective, and, and and growing the margin. So so it's kind of you know we prove already that this business can be profitable. And, and if you prove that in eight countries, you know, there are a lot of reasons to think that it's going to be profitable in 190 countries, you know, uh, most of them. Uh, so, so then it's easier to go to investors and say, look, uh, we did this in, uh, in eight countries, 10 countries, whatever. Now we want to go to 100. And, and this is how, uh, you know, this is why we need X amount of money. And this is what is going to happen over the next five years. So I think operations come first and then it goes funding. That's so interesting about your model with the entrepreneurs in an independent location. So, can you get a little bit more into that? Let's say uh, there's an audience member listening in a country in Asia right now, and they say they want to try this out in my city. Uh, How would that work at that local level? I mean, do they approach you and say, hey, we want to try this out? I know maybe an apartment complex or a few apartment complex owners. I'll go do the tours, do all the videos, and utilize your platform to really showcase the units. And I will generate the interest within the local market myself and actually create and build out that ecosystem so that Spot Home can further uh, invest in more resources there. And is that kind of how it works? Yeah. So actually, we get those requests from everywhere uh, constantly. And actually, my favorite requests are the ones uh, coming from our tenants. Let's say, for example, someone from uh, Singapore uh, rents in London, uh, you know, for a year, and then uh, uh, before they're gonna move out and go back to the countries, they would come to us and say, uh, "Man, I love this product. Um, you know, are you guys in Singapore? I can launch this thing for you guys." Um, it, we haven't done that yet. And the reason is what, what I was explaining before of concentrating, getting the model right, and iterating, and, and improving the model in the places that we are. 
But actually, what you mentioned is one of the ideas. Uh, but also, you got to do a recruitment. It cannot be, you know, although, although uh, for choosing those people, uh, we value very highly, you know, people that they have tried out uh, their own companies before. We found that those are the best general uh, managers. And, and uh, we, we love that. Actually, we love the stories of, you know, I, I tried this, but it failed, but I learned this, you know. Because you need that energy and you need those ideas. But also, you know, if you have some experience as well, um, um, that is also a plus. Um, uh, so, yeah, you gave me, you know, we, we thought about that model. And then now we, we are thinking of different models to actually expand. But the way that we haven't uh, done it to, uh, until now is being intentional. And it's being, okay, we're going to launch in France. We're going to get a GM in Paris. And then from Paris, we're going to be expanding. And, um, and, and it's being more intentional. But it has the potential to, to be more inbound kind of uh, spare request. But for that, you need funding. And it's very easy. You know, anyone when you launch in a new city, uh, it's going to burn money, right? So, so you know, you're going to open up tomorrow to 200 uh, entrepreneurs, uh, highly energetic, that they want to launch their business everywhere in the world. Uh, you know, that will consume any, a, 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 yeah, every dollar that we have. And so about your team and scaling, how many people are on your team today and where are they located for the most part geographically? So, so actually, to, to a point, it's been, um, when we started, uh, we got to a point that we were 400 people, um, but also there was a lot of manual processes. So we were like growth at all costs. And then, and then as we have been developing um, automations and, and technology, then actually while we are growing volume, uh, we have been scaling down the teams. Um, and, you know, I've seen this in many companies. It's like, okay, now you grow, you grow, and then you put um, uh, people actually doing the tasks, and then you just automa- uh, automatize. And then, you know, after COVID, we did some restructure, as uh, most of the companies. Um, so, so actually now we have a, a over 100 people. And then now, actually, actually we're... Kind of, uh, we got a hit on COVID, and now we're recovering faster. So then um, we'll scale up again um, from that. But you know, by year four, I think we're four hundred people. Oh wow, four hundred! And for the most part, is everybody in Spain, or do you have offices throughout Europe? Yeah. So uh, pre-COVID, we were fifty-fifty. Uh, so fifty percent in Spain because a lot of central uh, teams that were already in Spain, and then the other fifty across Europe. And now it got to be around 75 to 80% is in Spain and the remaining is in, in Europe. And, um, and then we have local teams in every single country now, but now everyone is on remote anyway. So You were talking about when you're actually trying to raise money back in 2014 and within Spain, it was so difficult, right? Uh, at that point, which seems like a very long time ago, but it was just a few years ago, what was that mindset that most investors had back then? I mean, were they just not used to the startups, deploying funds for startups and that entire valuation system? Like you said, they wanted way too much equity or was it more of the mindset and the investment model? And how has that shifted today for somebody, let's say in Europe or specifically in Madrid, looking to raise funding or raise capital? Yeah, I think back in 2014, there were not that many uh, examples of um, you know successful startups uh, in Spain. I, up to that day, there were not that many exits uh, in Spain, and I and I feel there was also more offer 
of in, uh, investors rather than demand. So, so I saw a lot of power on the investor side um, as they were not. So, so, but that changed. I think um, uh, in the last years, more and more entrepreneurs have been coming, but 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 also more and more exits. Uh, have been in the market. And it, it may not only be in uh, Spanish companies and being only operating in Spain, but then we had uh, uh, in recent years more examples of Spanish, co- well, Spanish-born companies being international and then having international players buying those companies. So so I think investors also realized uh, that they, they can potentially be bigger upsides. Um, and, and for that, you know, like... Better to have smaller equity stake on on a much larger company rather than a bigger stake in a in a smaller company and and uh, and yeah and then some new players um, on the investor side came in uh, with a morning maybe with a with a kind of a riskier mindset or more open for bigger upsides and and then those. Those investors actually started to take more uh, a bigger uh, piece of the cake, and then and then you know some of those investors now they have a stake in 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 the most valuable tech startups in Spain, and uh, so I think that that rushed uh, the 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 investment community in Spain. But also for uh, um, there is this organization is a Spain startup. They do an event called South Summit. Uh, they started out, I think, in 2013 or 14, and, and it's an event uh, once a year. And each year is bringing uh, uh, better and better international people. And it's the most international event that we have here. And it's one of the largest uh, uh, tech events in the south of Europe. And I think that changed a bunch of things. And I think it put Spain kind of in the, in the side of international investors. You know, up until... Five years ago or four years ago, international investors, they were not really investing much in Spain. We were kind of hidden uh, from, from the marketplace, right? Um, but now we open up. Um, that is interesting. So in the past few years, as that's changed, how has your network and your, more specifically, your peer network changed? So when you started off, it was you and your buddies as co-founders, and now you're leading the charge with a few hundred team members. So Throughout that process, I'm sure you've got great investors along the way, great angels, great VCs, and very large investors around the world. So, But as far as the mentorship, as far as somebody to lean on and say, hey, you're a founder of another company. Here's my issues. Can we talk about this? Do you have your own group or network that you can rely on, lean on throughout this entire process? And do you typically utilize some sort of peer network like that? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, a lot, and uh, and and uh, you know, like building the network is tough. You got to dedicate a lot of hours and a lot of energy into that, but it, it truly pays off. And as I mentioned before, we, you know, this is a people business, and um, and I have spent a lot of time on, on on network building. And as you say at the beginning, it was four of us. Nobody knew that, uh, knew us, and. And then I started to just talk and talk with more people. And then you got to get out there and you're going to move, right? And um, and also at a point, I got obsessed by bringing smart people. And the reason is because in 2015, 
Uh, we made a mistake, and it's uh, one of, of the mistakes that I regret the most back in the days. So it was in 2015, we got around, and then we wanted a higher valuation than the one that we, we, we got at the end. And then, you know, it's slightly higher. It was a very ambitious valuation. So actually, in hindsight, it was a good valuation that we got back then. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, uh, as part of that round, um, I had the opportunity to bring super smart investors uh, from U.S. actually back in the day. So it was like a year old. And then these investors, they were not, not investing much in Europe or Spain. So it was a, a good opportunity for us. And, and we didn't take uh, their money because uh, we were going to get more diluted. You know, and in hindsight, that is the dumbest thing you can do, right? And, and then when we went out in 2016 to raise capital, then I missed uh, not having accepted their capital because then you realize that for every door you open, you have potentially 10 other doors that you can open. And it's just um, it's a network, right? So then I was like, 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 yeah, if we got those guys, then it would have been easier to raise our, uh, our, our run in 2016. But also... You have a lot more expertise next to you, helping you out in, um, you know, how you position that round and, and uh, you know, everything. I mean, your uh, uh, business plan, everything that you can imagine. So then from that point, I was like, okay, from now on, I'm going to take the opposite strategy. So every smart person that I meet, if, I, if we're raising, I'm going to invite them in. And, and now today we have more than eight investors. And, and, and it got to a point that I was like meeting these incredible people that I'm so fortunate to have in our cap table. And it would be like having a coffee, asking them for advice, seeing the connection. And I, I would go and say, look, do you want to invest? Uh, you know, we'll make a space in this round and, and, and make it happen, right? So, so many of these investors joined out of a coffee. And, and, and that, it becomes very handy, right? And... And, you know, with, with some of these investors, I have a very close relationship, you know, and it would be like, you know, almost talking on a, on a everyday basis. And then what you realize is that you are not alone, all the opposite. And and I would say 95% of the things that happens to you, and, and it's not from a business perspective, I would say more that is from an emotional perspective. You know, all of them went through it because at the end, we're all humans. You know, and these businesses are run as of today uh, by humans. Maybe in, in, in uh, 20 years' time, you know, we, we are not needed anymore. Um, and and that, is, that is, you know, those sanity checks, it changed everything. Because, man, it was easy. Every, everyone would do it, right? So, so uh, it's tough, man. It's, it's a tough job. Alejandro, I love your mindset and your thought process around that. It's because it's really not about the money or the dilution at that point, right? It's really more about what they can bring to the table and how you're going to learn from what doors that they're actually going to be able to open for your team. And I see that is a common mistake uh, from um, you know entrepreneurs, and especially if it's first time, um, they worry too much about dilution, you know. But if you wanna build a massive business, I think I think. You know, you, you should relax on, on that more. I'm thinking of what you bring on the table. So when you started in 2014, what did you have envisioned? What was that exit back then? And how has that changed since that point? And what is your current end goal for Spada Home? Yeah, so so uh, look, uh, I, think, I think the easier um, 
The easiest way to look at it is, is what I was mentioning before about travel. If you think about transportation, accommodation, and activities, there are many uh, digital products that you have today and you can do anything, right? If you were thinking about traveling uh, to Europe, um, you know, leaving tomorrow and spending a few weeks, then you have multiple products that are going to help you throughout the journey, right? Um, and, and before you had to do that physically, uh, going to an office and arranging your entri- entire trip, right? Um, you know, if you think about rentals, if you think about buying and selling houses, property management, it's pretty similar to what was happening to travel, you know? And, and so, so our end game kind of is, you know, if you manage to rent houses from a device, end-to-end and be able to do everything, you know, without talking on the phone with anybody, you know, fully self-service, um, having full control. If you manage to buy and sell selling houses um, entirely online, if you can manage your property, all those things uh, in one single place, then um, and that would be amazing, right? And if you could do that everywhere in the world. And um, and I think, I think that is what is heading. And, you know, and there are multiple... I think, I think that is a common vision uh, shared and there are uh, multiple strategies and action plans. Uh, and then, you know, many people, they don't believe it's going to be possible. But then, um, you know, when we started in 2014, I remember everyone telling me nobody's going to rent a house for a year without seeing the house in person, right? And, um, and, and, and that is happening. And, and then, you know, some of the products that we're testing today that unfortunately I cannot share with you but then uh, today, but then some of the tests that we're doing are things that people said that nobody would do. Um, But then you just go and say, well, you know, people are actually doing it. Right? So, yeah, and it's the same if you think about 10 years ago um, or 15 years ago, if you wanted to buy a t-shirt or your shoes, you know, everyone would say, why don't you go to a store and just test them out and buy them, right? They, they, um, and, and now it's kind of insane when you see people going to stores, right? Um, so I think in real estate is going to be similar. Wow. Yeah, that, that would be amazing, honestly, especially from my perspective on the U.S. market. Even as a consumer who's looking to move abroad for a few months, I'm not going to be looking at this place until... I actually arrived there and knock on the door. And so that consumer and mindset shift is really going to be amazing to see. And companies like Spot Home that are bringing that to the forefront, highlighting it and enabling the consumer to be able to do that. That's, that's pretty amazing. It's a long journey. It's a, it's a big vision. Thank you so much again, Alejandro. I really love your enthusiasm and passion for how your journey has come across over these past six years. From your team standpoint, your investors, operations, and I'm honestly pretty excited to see where you guys are in a few years and your journey from here on out. Thanks, man. For the interview. And if somebody wants to check out Spot Home, where would someone be able to find you? So it's spotahome.com, and then uh, we have uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and then um, yeah, yeah. So so we are in all different platforms. And we have uh, um, iOS, Android, everything. And hopefully coming to a city wherever our audience members are. Thank you. Exactly. Next time we talk, we're going to be in many more countries. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the show this week. Please do leave a comment on your thoughts about today's episode. 
and make sure to hit subscribe to get the latest on the Global Ouge. Or if you already have, please share with a friend that you think might enjoy.